Welcome to the Beyond Birth Podcast. Join us each week as we take the conversation of motherhood beyond birth. I'm your co-host, Liz Winters, a nutritional therapy practitioner, certified pre and postnatal coach, and mama. I'm joined by my friend and co-host, Jenny Anderson, yoga teacher, full spectrum doula, and mama. Our hope is to inspire, educate, and empower women as they navigate pregnancy, postpartum, and parenthood with evidence-based guidance, informative interviews, and hopefully entertaining anecdotes from our perspectives as moms, entrepreneurs, and birth professionals. While you're listening, please keep in mind that the information on this podcast is for general purposes only and should not be considered medical advice. Thanks so much for joining us. Welcome to another episode of the Beyond Birth Podcast. Guys, I have a guest with me today and I am so excited. You know, Jenny and I talk a lot about building your support team through pregnancy and postpartum and parenting, and I cannot recommend today's guest enough. So welcome to the podcast, Ren. Hi, so glad to be here. Hey. To give our listeners a little bit of background, um, Ren is a teacher of teacher, teacher of mom, uh, a teacher mom of two. It's, it's kind of all the same. And the founder of PDX Waitlist. So she helps families in the Portland metro area find childcare through classes and family consults so that every parent can have the inside scoop on what quality care looks like and which great providers have actual openings in the next few months. She also runs a website where families can find dozens of, of area daycares and preschools, schedule tours, apply online, and instantly see where they stand on the waitlist. So it sounds like you just make what I found to be one of the most unexpectedly difficult part of parenting so much easier. So I'm super right. excited. I feel like you get all the, I mean, if you've got girlfriends who are parents or whatever your parenting situation is, if you've got friends who have families, I think you get the heads up that, you know, breastfeeding isn't quite going to be what it is or postpartum healing, who knows? I mean, I think you can never fully know that until you're in it, but at least I was aware that those things might be trickier than I thought. And yeah. childcare just completely slapped me upside of the head with how hard it was to find an opening. And it was really from that experience that I was like, it should just not be so damn hard. So that's what got me into this. Oh, I love that so much. Yeah. I think you're totally right. You know, you get the warnings about breastfeeding or postpartum healing, or even, even just like parenting, you know, they, they tag up like the terrible twos, which I hate that label, but that, that these times are going to be big emotions, like we were talking about before we hit record. Um, but what I I wasn't, I guess I wasn't unaware that childcare was going to be tricky. But nobody was offering any kind of solution. It was like, yeah, this really sucks. And you're like, great, cool. <laughs> well, that's inspiring. <laughs> that's helpful. Uh, but I do like to do a little icebreaker before we jump sure. into the can't wait. Um, so it is the time of year where at least our family likes to hunker down because it's really stormy in North Portland where I'm at right now and outside is not ideal. So we like to hunker down and play games. Do you have a favorite game to play either with your kids or with your partner or whatever? Um, so my kiddos are five and 18 months and the 18 month old just is going to copy whatever the big kid does. So it doesn't really matter. But for the big kid, we like the game spot it. Um, it's a card game where if folks aren't familiar with it, there's basically, and if you, there's basically a bunch of cards that all have similar 
icons on them, a magnifying glass, a tree, a heart, but they're in different positions, they're different sizes, and it's basically turnover cards, and whoever can ever find the two matching icons on each card gets to keep that little set, and you play until the deck is out, and it's just really fun. It's um, preschooler friendly, and that it isn't, like, the rules aren't particularly complicated, and it's just spotting visuals, so there's no words but kind of fast-paced and actually harder than it sounds so it's right. something we love we take it camping it's super small it's like the size of you know um like a less than a coffee can so it's, it's really small and that's we love that that's awesome that's awesome what about you guys what's your game well so we are just starting to introduce games to edith so we've been playing like like not like dominoes they're called lominoes somebody got them <laughs> for her birthday and so that's there's llamas Yes. They're really fun. Just like little matching games. <laughs> when she goes to bed, my husband and I really like to play phase 10. We really like card games. Oh, I don't know that one. Ooh, it's, it's really fun. It's similar. To, it's like a cross between Uno and uh, Rummy. Oh, so that's cool. our, that's our go-to. So oh, I like that. It's easy. Like we can do it while we're watching Parks and Rec. <laughs> like, <laughs> you know, just chill time. But it's just co- cozy time to spend together, which is nice. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yay. Oh, you know what? I think we even have spot it. So I need to like dust that off. Cause I, I never know when to pull these things out for like, I was like, are you ready for games? <laughs> this, I think it depends on your kid or their interests right. and their attention span. Honestly, probably it was maybe more like four ish, but it, it's been turned out to be fun. And I think the other key was she got introduced to it by some older kids on a camping trip with us. So oh, cool. uh, the older kid <laughs> yeah. influence is always helpful. So maybe if you can, get one of your friends, um, one of some of their older siblings to play it around or maybe she'd be excited. That'd be fun. I'll definitely do that. Um, so I just, I want to dive in and hear, I know you touched on it briefly. Um, but like childcare is really just a beast. And I personally wish that I'd had your tool or had known you when we were initially searching for care. Cause we started our search for care when I was three months pregnant with my first kiddo. Um, but I would just love to hear more about your experience and how you started it, started PDX waitlist, where that all came from. Yeah. You know, and it's just kind of funny because, um, I'm a teacher, I teach high school now, but my background's actually in early childhood education. It's something that I was always really interested in. Uh, there's this Italian model that we'll talk about later. And I studied that there and I worked with kind of nonprofits supporting children and head starts for a long time. So I actually shouldn't have been so hard, but even with that background, I was just completely surprised. And I think it's just that, you know, we just don't really have, much of a system of care in this country and it's it really weighs on working families and you know my family's certainly fortunate that we've got a number of resources you know um doors are open to us we've got a lot of privilege that's not available to everybody so um it's hard for me it's gotta be crazy for everybody else but uh we just we just weren't quite prepared and i think we also have the situation where a lot of things for around childcare are sort of like a shifting patchwork of plans that kind of work or maybe like a little half-baked or like you think you've got one plan, but then it falls through. Um, so we initially had a plan that my mom was gonna watch um, my first child before she was born. Um, I'm from Texas, they were gonna move out here, they were gonna watch her for the first couple of years. And then, you know, as we needed like toddler preschool, I figured that out then. So that just seemed great, I was super excited. Um, but then I think of the reality for many of us in this sandwich generation, our parents aren't getting any younger and health issues popped up and what seemed like a really good idea just wasn't feasible anymore. And so 
that's when I found myself. Like even at that point, I think I like needed care nine months later. So I was like, I can grow a baby in that amount of time. Surely I can find childcare. Um, (laughs) I was just really scrambling until I think about three weeks before and feeling like, well, shoot, I got all these lists and I was talking to all these nanny share options and like I was doing all this stuff, but I just wasn't finding anything. And that was really scary. And just the sense of like, am I going to have to quit my job? Like I like work. I, I don't, what, what am I going to do? Um, so that, that's where really the, that came from. And then we just had a sort of funny circumstance where it just kept happening every year or so that weird circumstances would happen and we needed to switch daycare providers. And so by the time, like third time I went through this, I was like, this is, this is crazy. Like I, I can't do the system anymore. I <laughs> just, no. Um, that's where my husband and I, we just kept wondering, one of the things we found really frustrating was that people, you know, you'd go to these places that were great and you'd say, okay, how long is the wait? And they'd just be like, well, it's just so hard to say as if we're like reading runes here or something. And I, I was just like, okay, well, you know, wiggle your eyebrows. If you think June might be an option, I, I don't know. Blink and, twice for September. Right. Exactly. It's just, um, I, I, that was, particularly challenging because it was like you just didn't even know if you even had any irons in the fire or not and I I think um, that's something I still hear from parents now so we started a a site where you could apply online for daycare you don't have to like run around with these pdfs and checks because everybody wanted checks I was like what is it 1982 I know I don't have that Um, and then you could see instantly where you stood on the wait list and even for us that was just like okay cool like there's 50 families ahead of me and they have two openings a year we need to find something else or wow, there's like five families ahead of me and they have three to 10, like we got a decent shot. So um, that was like one part of what we wanted. And we ran the site like that for a while. And kind of by the time my second kiddo, I was pregnant or, or in mom's groups with my second kiddo after she was born is when I just kept hearing from people, like, that's great. Okay. Now I know where I stand, but like, okay, well, where else actually has room? Um, and just, we haven't really done right by families in giving them the most basic tools to search. What are the different options? What are the websites you use to find them? How do you check a license? What does quality care look like? You know, I had a background in early childhood education, so I had a leg up on that. But if that was still somewhat opaque to me, I just think to your average bear, that's completely unknowable. And so you can go down like a 12 hour Google rabbit hole on that, but who's got the time? So I started doing classes and now actually work with families where I will do a lot of the legwork of the search and then get them basically a short list of places that are open, have openings for their um, kiddos age in their neighborhood, in their price range. Okay. Now here's the three places or the two, or um, these are the only two. So if that's not what you want, then you just need to think about an issue or whatever else is an option for them. That's amazing. And what I love is that you're really helping both parties. So, because like a lot of these facilities, I know that the, the, um, care the the preschool that Edith goes to is run by a family. It's like a family operation. And so just there, they are their marketing team and their billing team and the, and the educators in the room and the caretakers. And so to just take even just a little bit of that, I mean, this is a huge work. I know I was, when I was, (laughs) when she was on the wait list for her preschool, I think I was emailing the director of that campus I mean, constantly. I'm sure she probably wanted. She was probably going to turn me down because I was just like, "Hi, what's the status? What's going on? So, how about now?" Because we were in a position where it's like, I don't know what we're going to do. Our nanny share was over, right? And like, I, I needed. We needed care. Like, we needed to do something. So, like, what? 
what are our other options? Right. Uh, and so I just think so many folks are in that place. And I think you're exactly right. So in Portland, where I live, you know, there's 650 providers and the vast majority of them are mom and pop, very much mom, generally very small businesses with, you know, two to six kids in their house. So it's just places that you have to know or have heard of or mostly word of the mouth. A number of them don't even have websites because, you know, they've been doing this for 15 years, honey. And if I didn't need a website then, I don't need one now. And so it's, um, I do think it's important to try and bridge that gap. So that's really what I like doing is getting out there and knowing what the providers are like. And so then families say, you know, organic food is really important to us or this type of philosophy is really important to us or, you know, in our immediate neighborhood is like the most important thing. What do you know over there? I can have, I'm never going to know all 650 providers, but I can at least have some sense. Right. Right. So when we were searching for care for Edith, um, I, I started that search because I'd, I'd had warning from my siblings who none of them, none of my family lives in Portland, but they lived in big cities. Yeah. 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 And so like similar, like vibe of care is tough to get. Um, yeah. we start looking now. So I was like, okay, I'm three months pregnant. Like, let's start looking. I'll need care for, I think it was going to be October of 2017. And this was January, um, or 2016. And this was January. Mm-hmm. And I remember calling some daycares and I was, I was laughed at. I was like, Hey, I'm looking for infant care for like four days a week. Um, like, do you have any openings for October? And she said, of this year? <laughs> oh, yeah. But there's some bedside manner we got to work on a little bit. Right? But, uh, right. That's a challenge that I don't, that's an infrequent story that I hear. But, and it's really demoralizing. And that's just going, I think that just goes back to um, the most basic piece of information for families that are not out there, like, such as um, a lot of large centers in particular enroll in September. And many of them only have, because right, that's when the kinder, the little preschoolers move on to kindergarten and they make space for everybody to move up. If you, I mean, if you know that and put time into thinking about it, it's not like that's mystical why that might be, but a lot of folks don't realize that most, many centers, they don't enroll again until the next September. So part of the deal is if you're calling in January or March or even August, that September slot, yeah, that room is full until September and they start doing their enrollment for the coming fall in January. So, you know, even if you call in August and there's the slots open in September, that slot's been spoken for for like five months. So even just some of that information about how that cycle works, I think is not transparent to families. And so that they can understand, oh, here's where I'm at in the calendar. So here's, you know, maybe large centers aren't going to be as open to me. I need to look more in-home places for right now and think about a next step, just stuff like that, right? I mean, just basic information is not out there for families. And I think that's what makes something that's tricky because we don't have a lot of, we don't have enough supply because the work is really hard and doesn't pay very well, even though it feels like you're paying $1 jillion as families. Um, it, it just makes that search even harder. Yeah. I mean, and even you're right, like the, the cost for care can be so prohibitive for so many families. And even for us, it's like, okay, this is, this is an investment. Right. But then you know that the educators aren't getting paid enough. Right. I mean, in Oregon, yeah, 53% of childcare workers are on food stamps. Right. So, I mean, it's a really, um, it, and for a job that's hard, I mean, yeah. as a parent, oh I was watching one baby for 10 to 12 hours a day, let alone four, uh, is, is tough going. So, uh, I think that, I think it's very challenging work. So there's turnover. There's just a lot of things. And that's why, again, um, 
what we really need is not a gal like me, like a lady you find who tells you about places to go. We really need like a comprehensive system, system of care in this country, right? Like, so that's what I hope for ultimately. But in the meantime, rather than have people just be stranded and banging their heads against the wall, trying to kind of stand in that gap as much as I can. So while you're working on universal uh, prescale and childcare. Yes, yes. Okay, perfect. <laughs> um, so I get a lot of questions from my pregnant mamas and then early postpartum mamas about when they should start looking for that infant care. Because I know I yeah. feel like infant I, care is the toughest one to get into. Infant care is the hardest one because for a couple of reasons, right? The ratio is the smallest, um, whatever state you're coming from. And I, I recognize that we've got folks from different places. So it'll really depend on your state here in Oregon. It's a one to four ratio. Um, and the thing about that is that just makes it a really expensive type of care to run. There's very high liability. Um, the work is just Honestly, for a lot of people who want to educate young children, it's just kind of more fun when you get to do, you know, sandcastle building projects and learn about the life cycle of owls, you know, stuff that you just aren't able to do in the same way with babies. So just more folks want to do the older kid stuff and they make more money that way. So it, there's just a, a real dearth of care. So I would say um, definitely by the time you are comfortable in talking about the time, the fact that you're pregnant, definitely by the very beginning of that second trimester, you should be looking. Um, here in Portland, the wait lists are running around in the six to 12 months for infant care. Um, I think depending on your geography, that could be more or less. Um, there are some places, I, certainly it's true here that people apply before they're even pregnant. I, mean, I thought that was something that only happened in Manhattan, but that is not true. That, that certainly does happen. And depending on where you're at, and you know, if you have to have like just this one particular place, uh, maybe that makes sense for you. Um, I will say, you know, if you're not going to have, if you're not going to be in that kind of September start window, um, I do think starting earlier is better and looking for places that have rolling admissions. So um, not every place starts in September. Loads of them don't. They take, you know, they move a baby up to the toddler room when they turn two, whenever that is. And now that frees up a new opening. Um, but you just need to find places that you use that approach. So I think starting really as soon as you know you're pregnant in some situations <laughs> right. and uh, looking for places that do rolling admissions if you aren't going to be able to make a September start work. I also think uh, particularly here in Portland and again different regions have different a lot in Oregon a lot of our inventory of childcare for infant care that's kind of easier to get into is an in-home childcare. That's not true in every state but that's the other thing I think about is sometimes families all get on the five wait lists that everybody in town has heard of and that are all three years long and feel frustrated about the fact that they've paid 250 bucks in waitlist fees and they're not going to get any of those places. So I totally hear that. And also I would just encourage folks to think about a diversity of options. So, you know, a place that's now, everybody in town talks about and that you love, knowing that maybe that's going to be your preschool option, not your infant care option, and a couple of smaller providers that are maybe more kind of neighborhood specific that might have a shorter wait list, maybe an in-home, maybe you check into a nanny share if that's feasible for you or look at an au pair. So just give yourself, just don't put all your eggs in one basket, I guess. Give yourself a few different options so that you know that one of those will work out. I think that's so smart. Can we break down just a little bit um, those differences in childcare models for those that may not be super familiar? I know we used a, we used a nanny share, and then we went to I, I I'm not sure it's not they're not in home, but they're like a center, but they aren't like a big center. Right, um, right, and we, exactly. So um, there's a couple of there's a couple of main different buckets. So there's group care, and then there's having a caregiver. So group care means that you're going to have more than just um, one to one, one to two. Uh, so in Oregon, we have in-home childcare, which is um, has to be run out of somebody's house, um, but is 
a licensed provider. They have various regulations. Um, they get checked in on by the state and that's starting, um, there's a couple different kinds, but usually there's a small group of babies between two to six for the kind of more informal version here in Oregon and maybe up to 10 or 12 at the larger size. Um, then there's also centers. So that is where there's a designated commercial space. It has to have um, various specs and square footage. You know, the number of kids is based on the number of square footage. So there's all kinds of other specific regulations they have to go through. And that can be generally anywhere from like, they could be like 20 kids there to there's places that have, you know, 180 or 200 um, kids. It's like a school for small children. Um, that one you're going to have more of, there's a room for the infants and a room for the toddlers broken up by year or six months. There's substitute teachers. There's a more formal curriculum typically, um, whereas the in-homes is often kind of a homier mixed age kind of a feel. Um, you also have in most places, unlicensed care in Oregon, the ratios will be different for that, but in Oregon, if you have under three children, you don't have to have a license. So sometimes that's called stay-at-home mom care, kith and kin care, family and kin care. Um, and so that just might be a nice gal down the street who watches kids in the neighborhood. Um, there's certainly nothing wrong with that, but just know that there's there is no regulatory oversight on that whatsoever. So I consider that kind of a buyer beware situation. Um, so that's kind of the group care side. On the caregiver side, there's, um, you know, having somebody in your family. So your mom, your sister, your uncle, your aunt Nelda, whoever, um, who is able to help out a few days a week. Um, some people kind of end up trying to be their own daycare by with partners who can have flexible schedules, right? And I can work Saturday and not work Monday or whatever. So if folks try and find a way to make that work. Um, in the paid version, there's either nannies um, or au pairs. And the main difference between the two of those is au pairs are folks who are here on a cultural exchange visa from another country. Um, they can be here, they come for a year term and then they can extend it for up to one more. And that is run through the state department. There's only about 10 companies licensed in the country to do that. So you gotta go through one of them. And they, they live with you too. They live with you, yes, yeah. absolutely. It's, like a, it's meant to be really a cultural exchange. So you can select the country and you still get to interview them. They, their background checks done in their home country, but they live with you. You pay kind of a small education stipend. Um, it's more expensive upfront. It's you know, somewhere in the nine to $10,000 upfront, but then the monthly fee is much cheaper. So ends up netting out to be somewhere in the $1,700 a month range, um, which depending on where you're living um, is always less expensive than a nanny for 45 hours. They can do 45 hours a week yeah, um, and often about the same cost as center-based care. So, and it's just one-on-one instead of one-on-four. So that's an option if you're into that, if, if you have, the, and again, nannies are really expensive. Um, mm -hmm. So if you have the money to do that, that's an option in the space in your house and are excited about that. Um, and then nannies, uh, are really, you know, the closest thing you can get to having you without it being you, right? And uh, I think for some folks, the main thing they don't understand about nannies is like, congratulations, you're the boss. You run your own movie <laughs> daycare, which is My House Inc. And so you get to pick the person, you get to pick whatever curriculum and hours, and you get to pick the wages and the benefits package and all those things. Um, but you're also responsible for stuff like taxes and doing background and reference checks and all that. And <laughs> you are the substitute teacher if they get sick. So there's the kind of pros and cons on that side. Yeah. Oh, that's awesome. I think we've used like a variation of all of those. Yeah. <laughs> we always wished we like, our, like I said, our family isn't local. So it's like, I was always envious of those, of those friends who are like, oh, my mom is just going to watch 
you know, for the, for the couple days a week, it'll be fine. And I was like, I want that. <laughs> so Absolutely. Nice. I think it's really common to have and yeah. to have at different times. It's kind of like my story. You have one system and then the nanny goes to graduate school or right. that, yeah. doctor, that really great in-home provider has been doing it for 50 years and she decides to retire or whatever. And you're kind of thrown into a little bit of a scramble. So I think that's unfortunately really common. Yeah. I'm so looking at preschools specifically, you see all these really fun words like Montessori and Reggio and Waldorf. And I personally get super overwhelmed because if it doesn't have like that kind of title, I'm like, am I, is my daughter missing out on something? And are we teaching her the wrong way? And I come from a family of educators. And so, and didn't use any of these models that I, that I'm aware of growing up, but um, it was one of those, like, that's the cool thing in Portland. Right. So can you, can you break down, maybe you don't have to go into all of the, all three of those, but what the gist is maybe behind them and benefits, drawbacks, et cetera. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so I think for the, the main thing I am looking for, honestly, if I go and visit a place is that there is an intentional plan and some kind of curriculum with children. Um, the number one indicator of quality in um, daycares and I think it extends into preschool, is just adult-child interaction. How much are grown-ups talking with kiddos? How much language are they using? Because that's how those little brains develop. So even with babies that folks are saying, oh, you've got on a blue sock today. I love your blue socks. Can you wiggle your toes? Oh, those are your toes. Even though it seems like that's not, like, that's not Shakespeare, um, just that regular exchange helps babies learn amazing things like what does a question sound like? What are the spaces between words? What are common consonant starts? I mean, you can't believe the kind of stuff that babies are able to figure out from language input, but they got to have the input to figure that stuff out. So the number one thing you're looking for is just language. And even at the preschool age, it's places that have a plan of investigation and they're asking how and why questions that kids are naturally curious for, right? Anybody who's got a three-year-old knows that as you're in that age, like they're Questions galore, my friend. So many questions. <laughs> um, so you're, the, the methodology, there isn't a ton of research that says like, oh, only children who do Montessori are getting into Harvard or whatever. <laughs> I mean, that, that, that's just not how it is. Um, and so that really becomes more of a question of like what your family values and interests are. So um, Montessori, it has a very specific set of materials. It's a uh, was developed by Maria Montessori in Italy, um, in Rome to work with child, orphaned children um, and has a real emphasis on hands-on stuff. So what's cool about that is a lot of the materials that kids are learning from don't actually require a, a grown-up to teach them to you. They're self-correcting, like the, the toy won't work if you do it wrong. And so that's intriguing and captivating for kids. It means they can work really at their own pace. Uh, there's a real emphasis, even in the toddler ages, on dressing themselves. They have little like Montessori knife cutters. Those kids work on like slicing their little bananas and things. They carry glass cups and have sweeping jobs. So it's very much like project responsibility. Um, and again, with just very tactile hands-on things. So that uh, it's, a, it's a fairly structured curriculum and that can be really great for families who have that excitement about developing those independent skills, developing, um, having a really, want a really clear curriculum um, that can work great. The Reggio Emilia curriculum comes also out of Italy, and that one um, really is the focus is on having children and children's interests at the center. So there's a lot about teachers as researchers listening and taking notes on what kids are saying. Um, in my kids' classroom, I'm at a Reggio-inspired place, and they've been noticing that the kids have been particularly playing with um, the tiger and elephant 
like animal figurines. And so they're starting to bring in more books about the habitats of those animals. They're starting to do more of an animal study. Um, and from there, they'll probably be introducing, um, you know, different kind of play materials that simulate grasses and trees and see what the kids do with that. They were just building animal houses the other day. And so the learning around structures and shapes and um, geography, that's all baked into whatever the kid's interest brings up. So that's a pretty classic Reggio approach. Um, and then the Waldorf approach is a lot about creating the rhythms of home. Waldorf believes that um, the warmth of home is an essential early part of learning. They're very in tune with nature and natural and handmade, often homemade materials. Um, this is not a place we're gonna see plastic toys in like really glaring yellow, orange, beep, 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 like that's, that's not Waldorf's jam. Um, they generally wanna have an unhurried approach. So there's a day for painting. So children can be working on their project throughout that day, a day for baking, a day for rhythm and movement. So it's like- This um, would stress me out so much. <laughs> <laughs> and so that's what I mean that um, some families are like so jazzed that their childcare is gonna celebrate the solstice and have a beautiful lantern festival. And some parents are like, Hells no. So that's what I mean that none of those approaches are right or wrong. It's more about like what jives with your family and your values. And probably what jives with that particular kid too. Yes, I think that's true. It can be so different. Um, you know, like one that thrives in structure, like my daughter really likes structured time. And yeah. I think that's because I also really like structured time. Right, right. Um, whereas others might just, they're that more free spirit like you're talking about, maybe thrive better in that kind of Waldorf setting. Yeah, and I think that I think that's a really great thing about um, when you're in that preschool investigation sphere, being open to a couple of things that I, I don't think you can. I don't think it's a good idea for parents to pick something that just completely feels unsafe or like right. so goosey. You're like, what the heck are we even getting out of this? <laughs> but to be a little open to the fact that different places work for different kids, and that place that all your friends in there too or like the hot, hot to trot daycare on town like maybe that actually isn't the right fit for your kiddo and just to be open to what you see and know from your, your child yeah, um, so I think it's always gonna be a good idea to keep a couple of be on a few wait lists um during the preschool age just as you learn about this little person right you don't you didn't know them how could you know it in utero like that they'd be a good fit for Montessori or not it's unknowable right. so to have some of those options for yourself can be helpful that's super smart. Do you have um, some like top questions that parents should be asking care providers as they're, as they're going through this process of investigating and saying that they have all the choices in the world other than, do you have an opening? <laughs> yes, that's right. often sadly one. Um, I, I do always recommend that folks um, are doing a license check. So every state has um, a licensing agency and pretty much all of them have a way that you can look into complaints and their visits online and see anything that came up from that. And then I do recommend that if there's anything that is a question mark to you that you bring up in that on the tour or in a, in a conversation with a provider, it doesn't have to be guns blazing, like, what is the meaning of this? But more of that, hey, I noticed this. I, it just raised questions for me. Can you share the context about that? I'd really love to hear your side of, of what that was about. Um, I just think it's a really good starting point to do that. And if there's some place that has complaints on there that really worry you, like don't even go on a tour. It's just, it's just not worth it. Um, I do suggest asking about language for, if you're looking for infant care, tell me about how providers are talking to babies throughout the day. What are some examples of some of the language you use with them? 
how does that get more explicitly built into the routines later on as they're a toddler in preschool tell me about a unit that you worked on recently with the children what inspired that how did that show up throughout the different parts of the room um, for preschool you want to see that there's a literacy area there's some math there's some science but it doesn't have to be worksheets or buttons and burners that can be categorizing things by color and then counting up to five the number of things there are that's great right but you want there to be opportunities to explore all those different parts of our world and you are looking for not a lot of worksheets at least until they're in pre-kindergarten i'm okay if they want, are going to start working on their letters a little bit more at that point but children really learn through play earlier than that. And so you're looking for more of a play-based approach. I love that play-based approach. I think that's, yeah. and it's also inspiring to me as a parent too, to like see what activities they're doing at school. Right. Like, oh, we can try this at home, like on our days together and see like, cause you know, I end up learning so much from, from my daughter that way too. And she's like, oh no, this is how this works. And this is how this color works. And we're like, oh, great. Yeah, my daughter was trying to tell me about sedimentary rocks the other day, and I was like, Ooh. look at you, girl. So <laughs> it's neat to be able to see, and it's neat to be in partnership with your daycare provider or your child care provider so that, you know, it, they're not just getting stuff from you anymore. There's other things and they're learning out in the world. I think it's really kind of cool to see what they bring back and reflect that way. It's that, that like bigger community that they're building. Yeah. Awesome. We don't have to raise this person by ourselves. And right. We shouldn't be. That doesn't even make sense. So. No. <laughs> please don't make me do this. <laughs> um, so I, one of the things that I think I, I know I definitely struggle still tend to struggle with is kind of releasing that control. And yes. uh, it's really tough to hand over care of your child to somebody else. Yes. Do you have any advice for our parents or pregnant listeners how, how to broach kind of those like difficult conversations that tend to come up when, you know, you're talking about, meals or behavioral issues or structure at school or any of that, like how to, how to have those difficult conversations. Yeah. I, I, I've got, I do have a couple of nuggets on this and one, I got some really great advice from one of the providers that I work with. And this is the part I love about kind of being that hub um, where she said, you know, Ren, the conversations always go easier if we already have a relationship there to begin with. And so I really do think when you start a new provider or you have a new teacher at the beginning of the year, investing in those just little brief chatty conversations at pickup generally drop off, especially depending on the age of your kid, isn't always the best time to have a really long conversation because that can sometimes be more stressful for the kiddo. But at pickup, you know, it's a great time. Chat about, oh, we I heard that you were doing, you know, XYZ about tigers or she's so into this song, tell me more about it, or we're really loving blah, blah, blah. I love in the first month to try and find something to send a positive email home about. Thanks so much for sending out that weekly newsletter. I'm so jazzed about how you guys are incorporating music into the routine. She loves that at home. I totally want to get that itsy bitsy song or whatever. It doesn't have to be like a novel, but just a quick connection home of appreciation, connection, thanks. That can be really lovely. Um, and again, I'm not trying to say like now volunteer in the classroom every day because that's why you have childcare. Like, you don't, <laughs> no, <laughs> but just those, a couple of those touch points you know, it's like you're building, you're putting, you're investing in the relationship bank here. So when you have to say, hey, I've got some concerns about X, Y, Z, they know you're coming from a place of somebody who has been trying to learn about what they're doing there is, is in conversation with them. Um, I think when you do have those hard conversations, um, it's helpful to come from a place of 
data and specifics. So, you know, just like with anybody else saying, you always are not giving her milk at lunch is just not a helpful starting point. So, you know, when I looked at the notes you sent home on the 20th, the 21st, and the 27th, it looks like none of those, all of those days she hadn't had a diaper change in over two hours. I'm seeing a really red diaper rash at home. I'm just wondering what other materials can I provide, be providing to support that at school? How is it that we can work into the schedule for her to get changed more often? Because I just know she's uncomfortable and I don't want that for her. So, you know, grounding it into concerned about the child because that's these people do that because they care about kids. And then coming from a, a constructive place of how can we problem solve that, I think will always help that go farther. That being said, if there's like a safety issue, that's sort of a different order, right? So I don't think you need to pussyfoot around hey, I showed up at drop-off and there were five kids and only one teacher and I know the state required ratio is one out of four. I want to understand how you guys are going to be, how are you going to make sure that doesn't happen again? Um, and even considering whether or not you might need to be making some complaints on your daycare. Um, those are, uh, most states, I know in Oregon, I assume in most other states are anonymous. Um, and usually what happens is just they send somebody out to come out and check it out and, and talk with the provider about what's going on. So if you're worried about something, um, you are your kiddo's best advocate, right? And so um, mostly in the room is little babies who can't talk for themselves. So <laughs> if, you, if you do have a real worry, I don't think you need to feel like you have to pussyfoot around that. Yeah, I think that's really, that's really smart. It's, like you, it's, it's for your child's well-being, right? And other kiddos, right? And other um, kiddos too, absolutely. Even if you decide we're leaving this pop stand, if, if they are not practicing safe sleep, like that's legit dangerous. Yeah. Being willing to step up for those babies Again, in a respectful, productive way, and not in a just like name calling brawl is. <laughs> I think that's so smart. Um, going back from the safety issue more to like the the day to day, yeah, really cultivating that partnership. Like we're in this together, yes. and I really like that. Um, I like what you're saying about building that relationship with your care providers because it can be really tricky because like we my partner and I alternate drop off so like right. I always drop off and Shane always picks up right right so when we mix it up I'm like I have no idea who these care providers are <laughs> hello you hello friend <laughs> it's like it's my mom they're like great cool okay so I mean but it's, it can be hard to foster that relationship so I definitely think I think it takes um a little effort but it's totally worth it in the end yeah, and like this, the holiday season is a great time to just, again, invest in that little relationship bank. You don't need to buy them a cashmere sweater or send them <laughs> to a massage. But I mean, of course, if that's in your wheelhouse financially, then go do it because these people work hard. Right. Um, but even just a note, even just a note from the kiddos, like baby footprint, make a heart. Thanks so much for all your work. Love Liz. You know, that's plenty. It doesn't need to be quick, right? Um, even just a like store-bought card sign. We really appreciate how much you're taking loving care of Edith. Thank you so much for your time and care. Have a great holidays. That's lovely. Um, if you want to do that more, people love gift cards. Um, like I said, a lot of times folks are on food stamps, not making a ton of money. So coffee shop, gift cards, grocery store gift cards, those are always helpful. But even just a little something, just let them know they're seen. Yeah, I love that so much. Um, so I think this has just been so helpful. And like, people because we a lot of our listeners are not actually in direct portland but yeah. i mean this has just been so valuable for them as well um but i want to talk a little bit about what you do in portland for our portland okay. families um so you offer individual consults to support families through this process can you just talk briefly about what that looks like and is that something that people outside of pdx could take advantage of through like a virtual meeting i don't know if i'm throwing yeah, extra work on your plate absolutely. um <laughs> So I kind of have two different offerings. One is around if you 
you know, I think like many of us, the notion of all the legwork it takes to find childcare because it's significant. If you need care in three months or less for an infant, you're going to be spending some time on the phone calling these places. And I say on the phone because a lot of the little spots where you're going to get in are not the most tech savvy or just don't got time. And so calling between one and three at nap is the way to go. But that also happens to be a peak time when, I don't know, people have jobs. So if, you, if that's your bucket or you're like, oh, I don't have time to research all these things or I don't even know what this means. Um, and you're in the Portland, honestly, if you're in Oregon, um, you can hire me and I will we'll meet, we'll talk about what your criteria is, what's going to work for your family, you know, what's your budget, how many minutes of a drive, et cetera. And then I will go out and make a short list of license checked places for you to say, okay, here are the five places that actually do have an opening. So you don't have to run around with places that have like nine year wait lists, go do a tour, see which one you like. Um, so that is an, uh, something I offer here in Portland. Could we really easily do it in Oregon? I'm happy to do it for other states, but it is just a little bit more expensive because it just takes a, a bunch of extra time to get up to speed on the providers, whereas in this area, I know them a bit more. But something that I also offer for whoever is um, I can basically do a consult with you on, you know, teach me how to find childcare on my own. A lot of the things we've talked about right now, you know, I'm going to have this baby in March, like, what should I know? What should I be looking for? What should I do about XYZ? I'm a nurse and work until 10 p.m. You know, all these kind of special circumstances can help folks troubleshoot that just because I know what's out there having spent a lot of time looking in it. Um, also could help folks think about once they're in care, troubleshooting just the kind of situations that you brought up. I do work with a number of families where kind of what we want to talk through is like, is this normal? What's my, and usually it's not very rare circumstances. Has it been like a, drop everything and call the state, like now we need to find your new child care. Um, I haven't happened, but that's, that's less common. Usually it's more of this, like, I just, I don't like the way that this is going. How do I resolve that? Just kind of like the same question you were asking and helping folks think through kind of a sequence of conversations about that. So, um, and then I also do classes where, in, for folks local in Portland, I do, a, or a group of people can come and I'll just teach you all about nannies, daycares, preschools, what do you need to know, how do you search, um, and leave you with a boatload of materials. And I've got another one of those coming up in January um, yes. at the end of the month. So We'll definitely link to that in the show notes. Hopefully we can get mm -hmm. people to sign up. I think that group class sounds so awesome. I mean, all of your offerings sound awesome, but that group class, especially because it offers an opportunity for you to connect with other parents with maybe kids similar age. Yes. And it's just nice to feel so talk nice. to folks who are, I think that opportunity to build community similarly on Facebook for folks in the Portland metro area. I've got a Facebook group of other parents searching and it's just been really neat to have folks say, Hey, has anybody checked out this place? And a bunch of people respond and yeah. Hey, has anybody been there and be like, Oh yeah, I went there. PM me. Happy to talk to you more about that. Um, Facebook isn't everybody's cup of tea, but if it is, it's just <laughs> nice to have other folks. And there's lots of parenting groups out there, but sure. sometimes you got to sift through like 1,000 other comments to find right. the related stuff. So it's kind of nice to have it just all in one place. Well, we'll niche piece on that parenting. Yeah, yeah. That's kind of fun. Like my North Portland parents group where I'm like, I know there was a post about childcare in here. <laughs> where is it? What was it called? Search code. Did the childcare with a space or not? Yeah. So you don't have to you instantly get distracted or your daughter pulls you someplace, you know? <laughs> Up. the shiny objects so. oh, yeah, right. oh this has been so fun can you let our listeners know where they can find you and where they can connect with you yeah absolutely so um you can find me online um 
either at pdxwaitlist.com for the Portland area stuff or my um, website for my consulting um, and family supports is renjohns.com. And then um, you can also find me on Facebook and Instagram at, at pdxwaitlist is my handle. And I've got tons of tips about transitioning and what kind of stuff to pack for daycare and just the thing about holiday gifts recently. So um, whether you're searching or you're in, we've got some nuggets out there for you. Yeah. And I highly recommend following her on Instagram because she posts all the super helpful stuff and I'm not looking for childcare at the moment. And I'm like, Oh, this is so good to know. So oh, I'm so glad. Helpful. Um, awesome. Ren, thank you so much for chatting with us today. This Absolutely. Is it's been such a fun pleasure. Thank you. Yay. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of Beyond Birth Podcast. If you love what you're hearing, we'd be so thrilled if you'd subscribe, rate, and leave a review for our podcast wherever you enjoy listening. Until next time.